1973, a group of indigenous artists formed a collective. The press called them the Indian Group of Seven. Their goal? To raise the profile of indigenous art. It was all or nothing. We're representing all our people. And create a permanent space in galleries for indigenous artists in Canada and around the world. That was really a rock star moment for me. I'm Soleil Lunier, and this is Among Equals, the history and legacy of the professional native Indian artists, Inc. Listen wherever podcasts are heard. Art Slice is a different dive into art history. We goof around, we curse, you learn from it, but don't expect a typical lecture. You're welcome. From Welcome to Art Slice, a palatable serving of art history. I'm Stephanie Duenas. And I'm Russell Shoemaker. Stephanie, who are we talking about today? Today we will be discussing a drawing called Three Flags by Jasper Johns from 1960. You okay there? Why are you moving like that? Why do you, what is happening to you? Oh, sorry. Where was I? You're sitting there, like okay. So I wasn't turning to uh, mount the camel's back. No. Okay. There Wait, is no. Camel did you just here. say we're going to talk about Jasper Johns? Yes. Okay. This always happens. What happens? Whenever I, you know, I'm at a museum and I'm walking past a Jasper Johns painting, all of a sudden I just go into this fugue state, and I just I'm I'm somewhere else. I'm somewhere else entirely. Usually places I've never been. Some places I have been, but I'm just transported to another universe because I'm just so bored. Oh wow. Well. Uh, this is not a painting. Okay. This is a drawing. Okay. We might throw in a painting here or there, uh, but this is mostly about a drawing. What? That's kind of rude. Oh, I was, in, I was in Machu Picchu. I was trying to ride this llama. Are you, are you sure it wasn't an alpaca? Okay. I guess You're we'll just... You're going to have to hang I, in look, there with I'm me. I'm here for you, baby. I'm yeah, here you for you. Be. Just know, like, this. I mean, this. We, we, you know, sometimes this happens. Sometimes I go into a fugue state when I see a Jasper Johns painting. This is not a painting okay. that we will be discussing. Well, we'll see if that makes a difference at all. Okay, well, I sure hope it does, because I'm really excited about this drawing. Okay. All right. We'll see. Yeah, I guess we will. So I wanted to ask you, Russell, mm-hmm. I want to ask you a question. What does a flag represent to you? A flag. Flags. Any flag. Generally speaking. Just a general just, flag. Just the idea of flags. Flapping in the wind. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um... I guess it's like countries I've traveled to or I've worked in other countries. So I have some other memories of living there. It's kind of like another time and place. So like a fugue state. <laughs> so specific flags kind of spark your memory of a certain place. Like yeah, fond- they can. Fondly. Okay. They can, yeah. Most, well, most. They represent goals. They represent getting to know people of other walks of life. Okay. So positive. Yeah. Mostly. I would say so. What about for you, Steph? For me, they kind of represent sports and competitiveness. Okay, I didn't know you are so sporty. I'm not. That's just kind of the vibe I get. Like, you're so proud of your, your team, club or your club. clique or, yeah. Your penguins, your dogs, your animals. Right. Oh, we are so united. This is my club or my group that we needed a flag oh, okay. to yeah, represent like, okay. what we stand for. Um, yeah. But also colonialism. Put a flag there, it's ours. Yeah, put a stake on it. Dibs. Calling dibs yeah. on this land i'm here and i have a flag so it's not your country anymore exactly and it makes you wonder what what humans used before flags before symbols like right the event, invention of flags yeah so a flag is really just a symbol it is open for interpretation open for interpretation. In, yeah in general but it 
it can mean something different like art to the person who created it versus the people who are looking at it. Or the time and place of the people that are involved with the flag in whatever which way. Exactly. The people that are on the opposite side of the flag in, in whatever which way. That makes me curious. What does the American flag mean to you? Well, when I when I look at the American flag, I think about all of the people who've died for it, whether it was unwillingly or willingly. I think it's something I've always thought about at the, in the back of my head, just because of how we're constantly told, even as kids, as we do the Pledge of Allegiance, mm. and we're just told over and over again, we should be proud. We should be, be proud. proud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh. So for me, uh, <laughs> it makes me think of Walmart, which is weird quintessential chain yeah well i grew up in the midwest and that is where we went (laughs) to get everything everything the clothes on your back your food just everything so at a very early age i think i kind of equated that to americanism let's say wow it also makes me think of hospital bills i mean we just have like a weird system with money here uh, that very american keeps you in debt no matter what you do i don't want to bring it down (laughs) that There are things that are great about America, too. Like, you know, I love driving across the country and watching the geography shift. The variety of... Yeah. You go from, like, plains mm. to desert to mountains to ocean. It's it's really beautiful to, to see that all unfurl in front of you. Growing up, when we did, I think about war, too. I mean, we've just been in endless wars yeah. ever since I was a kid. What I see in the flag is not what I wish to see. I wish to see and think about other things. Right. You know, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to be Debbie Downer, (laughs) but I can't help what it reminds me of. Um, Let's go ahead and get into the work. Listeners, you can find all the work that we are about to talk about on our Instagram page at ArtSlicePod or our website at ArtSlicePod.com. Let's go to the narrative. In front of us are three gray rectangles, each smaller than the other, nestled on top of one another, stacking outwards from the wall. Each rectangle is filled with visual static only made with a pencil or with charcoal. What first appears as scribbled static, noise, or chicken scratch slowly unveils a variety of touch. Some of the pencil scribbles appear to be applied with aggressive force, as if a child held a pencil with their fist and pressed as hard as they could while dragging the mark across the paper with their underdeveloped arms. Other marks appear rhythmic and gestural, as if a skilled calligrapher was practicing their craft with a pencil over and over again before committing to permanent ink. The lines stretch upwards with the lightest touch, and then as the line rolls over a hill, the momentum builds and it picks up speed. The variety of touch fluctuates from heavy to medium to light, until the line crescendos and the hand lifts from the surface entirely, only to resume elsewhere on the page. As a viewer, you begin to realize the depths and diversity of what you first saw as static or chicken scratch. You realize behind the rhythmic calligraphy are grids that are barely hidden by marks made with short pencil strokes that obscure their geometric patterns. And you get it. It's an interesting abstraction that someone paid a lot of money for, But then if you haven't moved on, you notice stars, and slowly a flag emerges from behind the static, just barely. The flag is stretched to fit within the limits of the graph paper. It's geometric in form. And you start to wonder if the static 
works as a protection for this flag or if it functions to bury that same flag due to a sense of shame and disillusion. Take me there. Take you where? Where are we at? What are we doing? What are we hearing? What are we seeing? What are we All tasting? Right. Oh my God. Are we tasting peaches? No. We Sadly, we don't have- cobbler? No, we don't have any of that. Okay. Do we got some sweet tea in our hand? What's nope. going on? Nope. We have our imagination. Our imagination. Yeah. But in our imagination, where are we, we at? are going to the past. To the past, Jasper yeah. Johns' childhood. Okay. Yes. Jasper Johns was born in Augusta, Georgia in 1930. While he did grow up in Georgia, he also was raised in South Carolina. He wasn't exposed to much art as a kid, but he always had this intuitive sense that he wanted to be an artist. So he grew up and he took art classes at the University of South Carolina. But about a year later, he decided to leave and head for the big city. Charlotte? The Big Apple. Oh. New York City. New York City! That was, that was my Pace Picante commercial. I don't know what voice. that is. Okay, never mind. What the hell? What did you just say? Pace Picante. New York City. Listeners, this is how it is all the time. I don't understand half New York Russell's, City. Russell's references. All right, so let's talk about New York City in the late 1940s, early 50s-ish. It is an exciting time to be a young person in New York City, generally speaking, but especially as an artist hoping to make it. New York is at the end of a golden era that came from post-war prosperity. The U.S. became a powerful global presence after the war. Because they weren't uh, in shambles like Europe was. Right. Yeah. We swooped in and left. So the economy was booming. New York is bumping. They are flying high. Literally, they are building skyscrapers made of steel, glass, and metal. So it's changing the skyline. Mm. This environment allowed for an art movement to develop, uh, unlike anything before on American soil. Mm. And that was called abstract expressionism. Or, if you prefer, abex. I prefer only because it's shorter, but I don't like what it sounds like. It does sound like a a machine that you work out on. Which isn't that different from abstract expressionism, if I'm being honest with you. That's that's a good point. That is a good point. Um, Abstract expressionism was very physical, and it was... It was um, described as being very performative. Abstract Expressionism had its height in the 1950s. It was the first specifically American movement that had international influence. It started in New York City and it instantly made it the capital of the art world, whereas Paris had been the hotspot previously. Kandinsky, Edward Munch. Remedius Faro, they all went through Paris at some point. Yes, um, these are all artists we've covered so far and... Even though they were different generations, all, yes, all of their careers. They all, they, none Paris of them came from Paris, nope. but they all went through Paris. Right. Paris brought us Impressionism, Post-Impressionism, and Surrealism. Surrealism? <laughs> okay. Surrealism, just to name a few. Like we mentioned before, the effects of the war had left Europe, including Paris. Yeah, Paris is um, in uh, no shape to be uh, a leading art capital at the moment. There is, there's a void, right? And USA is filling that. So the impact of World War II helped to instigate the movement. It compelled artists to express their feelings through painting, Mm. helping them to process the horrors and atrocities of war. The development of ABEX had been building up to react against those movements. So 
Surrealism, post-impressionism, those movements. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Abex was dynamic, energetic, spontaneous. It was movement. They were moving their bodies it was around. Physical. Yeah, they're yeah. to create the work. They're, they're working on huge canvases. Yes. And they were abandoning themes that were involving the American life, um, which had been very common in the previous mm. decades. So it was not nationalistic. Gotcha. It's not so, about the U.S. or celebrating American pride in, in the traditional sense. Right. So, right. The poster child of abstract expressionism or abex is Jackson Pollock. And right. if you think of Pollock, he's dancing around these huge canvases that are laid on the ground, throwing his paint around. Abex became just as much about the artist creating the work as the work itself. Yes. And I think a part of what helped make him famous Mm -hmm. was a spread was published of him in Life magazine. Oh. So it included pictures of him. You can see him dripping the paint over the canvases. Like he's stretching his body across this canvas on the floor. They're showing the process, which was, I think, probably also new at the time. Maybe nobody really cared about the artists in their studio meticulously painting. So you get to see the behind the scenes and then you get to see the results. So I think that's probably what helped helped his career maybe and helped Abex grow. Another thing that critics would often celebrate about abstract expressionism was that it was this kind of American intellectualism coming from artwork, right? So they weren't relying on subject matter to express themselves. They were doing that Kandinsky thing. They were being abstract, but they're also showing the movement. So if you remember when we talked about Kandinsky, we talked about how his works feel very vibrant and alive, but at the same time, they feel like they are sketching that vibrancy down. We talked about biomorphic shapes and how he was very interested in those, but he was just drawing like a picture of that shape and then painting it on a canvas like it was a cutout shape. Well, this shows the movement, the expressiveness, the spontaneity. The spontaneity They're not right? sketching it out ahead of time. Exactly. Gotcha. And so this was meant to sort of celebrate a cultural superiority of Americans now. Europe has gotten its teeth kicked in. Germany's in shambles. Russia is recovering. This was coming out of the FDR years. So the, the public depression, works, so the 1930s. Yeah, the public works projects where artists were creating work about the country. They were creating work that was more collectivist in spirit. Celebrating the American spirit, right. American perseverance. Together, us, us mm-hmm. together. We're going to win this war. We're but now we're coming this. out of that, right? And now it's capital. Now we are individualistic. Now it's that rugged freedom that we've always sort of prided ourselves on as Americans. So these artists were thought of as cowboys, even, in some ways, you know? Wrangling like, the canvas. I think even Pollock, he came from like Montana or some shit. So, <laughs> so there was this rag on, or maybe it, meant, it was meant to be a compliment that these abstract expressionist painters were painting with their dicks. Very showy, very performative. Like, look what I can do right. with my canvas and my brush. So artists, specifically Abex artists, are being promoted as cultural celebrities. And their works are not only dominating New York, but they are dominating America. And they've captured the attention of the art world in the news and in magazines. With all their dick paintings. Gross. Sorry, that's a difference, right? Between dick paintings and paintings with dicks. I'll just take this out. Wow. Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay. This is the New York City that uh, Jasper Johns finds himself in. He goes on to study at the Parsons School of Design, but he drops out shortly due to having no dinero. He officially becomes an art school dropout. In 1951, just a couple years later, he is drafted into the U.S. Army. 
because we had gotten ourselves into another war. Of course. The Korean War. And he is not sent to Korea, though. He is sent to Sendai, Japan. Well, that's lucky. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. He leaves the army two years later in 1953 and heads back to New York City. There, he develops a close friendship with fellow artist Robert Rauschenberg. Ah, so Rauschenberg takes him under his wing. The giant bird-like wing of Robert Rauschenberg. Sure, he probably influenced Jasper to some extent. Yeah, I mean, Rauschenberg, he's fairly well known at this point, right? He's not the superstar that we think of today, but... Um, he he was exhibiting. He was he was out there. He's out there. He'd not blown up like Pollock, but he, gotcha. was, he was out there. So they become really good friends and they search for jobs together. They're like, we got to earn, we got to earn some money. Let's, let's see what we can do. They're applying to jobs together? Yeah. So they end up finding a gig designing window displays for department stores. Okay. And actually like Tiffany's, it's not a department store, but fine luxury retailers, perhaps. Oh, They're quite interesting. Yeah. I, I found an image of it. So you got to do as an artist. What do you think their contractor name was? I have no idea. I mean, they can't go by like Johns and Rauschenberg. J squared and R squared. Yeah, that's no one would understand that back then. Junior. There you go. J-R. Johns and Son? No. The Oily Boys? The Oily Boys. Well, because they're painters. How do you know they're painting with oil? I don't know. I assume they probably have some experience in that. Well, we shouldn't assume things. Okay. Never mind. shouldn't assume Sorry that that I'm trying to bring a little life and fun to this podcast. This... All right. I'll try to take I'll try to take it down a notch. All right. Okay. So with their side gig money, they get studios in the same building. They're friends and they're also like studio buds. They're kind of vibing off each other. Feeling those vibes. Yeah. While their works are distinct, to me, it's clear that Rauschenberg was a huge influence on Jasper's work at this time. He is, like Jasper, considered one of the forebears of pop art, uh, but he's not a pop artist. Mm. Like Jasper, his work is often made with a combination of materials, and he would often use uh, recognizable subject matter uh, along with abstraction that would seem to be a social commentary of sorts. I mean, one work that we'll have to feature at some point on Art Slice is a work that Uh, was never made at all. Oh. Yeah, so the Vatican commissioned him to make a work. Well, that probably didn't end well. It didn't end well, yeah. In 1954, Johns has a dream in which he is painting an American flag. Okay, while it's waving in the wind, or? Like, is he watching an American flag wave in front of him and he's painting it on the side? That would be kind of cool. No, he's got a paintbrush on a stick that can reach up that pole and the flag's waving. Oh, he's waving. physically painting the yeah, flag that's Yeah, that moving. sounds like a dream, right? That's like one of those dreams where you have no control around your surroundings. Like you're losing your teeth. You're trying to paint a waving flag as it waves by. Wow, I had never thought of it like that before. I have no idea. <laughs> I think it was just him painting a flag on a surface. Kind of a boring dream, but okay. Oh, well... He didn't think so. (laughs) This vision inspired him to create the first of many, many flag paintings. Many flag paintings. Yes. You're okay. You're, you know, you're faking it. Oh my God. I was about to board a plane to Macau. So he would go on to make white flags, colorful flags through painting, printmaking, and drawing. I think he even made some sculptures. Um, But basically, he made flags in all sorts of mediums. All sorts of American flags. When I say flags in regards to Jasper John's, I mean an American flag. It wasn't like Jasper John's private island flag. No. Or Jasper John's uh, box of Captain Crunch flag. No. He, He pretty much thought he was 
like a poser, like he was trying too hard to be an artist. Okay. But after having this vision and, and painting the first of these flag paintings, he feels like he's really an artist. And he's like, I, I'm doing it now. This is real. The previous work that he had made, he felt had been done with, quote, the spirit that I wanted to be an artist, not that I was an artist, end quote. Okay, so kind of a called shot there. And now maybe he's had some real inspiration, maybe yeah. authentic inspiration. So now he feels like a like a real artist. Yeah, now he's at a, a dream. A dream. I thought you said a drink for a oh, second. I'm like, no, oh, a dream. okay, well, maybe that if that helps you out, I guess. I don't know. So he had started gaining some attention for his work hmm. um, when art dealer Leo Castelli happened to spot his paintings while visiting Rauschenberg. Oh. So he was Rauschenberg's dealer. And so he probably swung by one day checking out Rauschenberg's oh. work. Like, hey, how you doing? Uh, what's new? What's new? And all of a sudden, he smells something. What's that? What does he smell? Is that, oh, is that peach cobbler? Oh. And then he, so there's a peach cobbler stink line wafting into Leo stink Castelli's line. nose and it lifts him up like a Looney Tunes character and he, he walks follows down the, the stink line floating in there. Who's that? Oh, it's Jasper Johns holding a peach cobbler. And what's in that? In a studio. In a studio in front of his paintings. And what's that? He's only wearing his painter's smock. He's looking pretty <laughs> sexy. Oh my God. He's got some chest hair sticking no. out. He's like, no. Uh, Mr. Castelli, I presume. Would you like... A piece of peach cobbler. Stop. And while you're here, take a look at my paintings. I don't like, I don't like. No me gusta. No me gusta? Nope. Nope. Okay, so. Oh, Castelli me gusta. (laughs) Stop. So Leo Castelli (laughs) is impressed and he invites Johns to have a solo show at his gallery. This 1958 solo show is a huge success. Okay, Rauschenberg is Back in the back. <laughs> he's seething in the corner. Drinking a couple too many Modellos. You, Congrats bud. lifting up Good the bud. beard. He's, yeah, he's got his bird-like wing and he's toasting. <laughs> his injured wing. Yeah, his inj- oh, his injured <laughs> wing. Oh, no. Uh, so the To be d- fair, he could only fly in a circle because he only has one bird-like That's wing. That's right. He only yeah. had one wing to give. Right. Which is now broken. <laughs> Um, the director of the MoMA at the time ends up buying three of John's paintings. Uh, this work, this work was disrupting the dominance of abstract expressionism, which you recall was all the rage at this time until now. So John's is helping set the stage for pop art. Little Jasper John's coming from Georgia, disrupting abstract expressionism. Southern How boy dare he? in the big city. Southern boy. Making waves. Peach stink waves. They're not stinky. I don't... Okay. All right. So let's talk about pop art. Pop art. Pop art. Pop started... Art. You were very excited for pop art. It started in the 1950s and went to about 1970. So popular culture is mass media, mass production, mass entertainment. So all these things are taking over and capitalism is becoming part of the American identity. Sure. Uh, stressing that individualism. Expressing who you are as an individual. Your choice. Of soup can. Yes. So it was called pop culture to distinguish it from high culture. So this is something that we haven't discussed yet on Art Slice. The difference between high art and low art? The difference between high art and low art. Like fashion? Right. So it is very much like fashion. If you think about it, a lot of like high art, when they sell it, it's, you know, like the price of a Maserati, for example. Right, like Louis yeah. Vuitton or Gucci. So we have to distinguish, no, this, this is worth your money. This is high art. This is intellectual art. These artists are achieving something. There is a reason that they are at this gallery. 
that I am showing you. There is a reason that you should take interest in them. So pop art wanted to disrupt that by embracing the imagery that the the common people would see all the time, like Campbell's soup cans. Yes. The everyday people now had a certain power, right? They are benefiting from that post-war prosperity we Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier. They now have money. They want to spend that money. And uh, all of a sudden, there are all these new products available. Almost everybody has a TV. So now they can see these ads. They can be marketed to more easily. Mm -hmm. So artists are taking note of this. And they are embracing materialism. And by making work about it, they're blurring the distinction between commercial and fine art. You could also maybe see them as taking a critical eye towards this lifestyle, whether they're embracing it or not, or kind of straddling the line like Andy Warhol certainly straddled the line between embracing this consumerism and injecting a cultural critique of that consumerism into his work. Right. So New York artists specifically were making work about pop culture as well as reacting against ABEX. So Andy Warhol, in in a way, was reacting against ABEX by doing the opposite. They were reacting to that rugged individualism. They're reacting to that only one artist can make this. And they're literally not only making screen prints, which is something that you can make multiples of, but they're showing you imagery of things that is in mass media that everyone sees that on everyone TV, has access that to. everyone sees in the grocery store that everyone sees in magazines they're really kind of flipping off ab abex painters right. <laughs> essentially they're like fuck you these images are not limited to the mind of the artists this is available to everybody right right but it's important to note that the middle class wouldn't have been able to afford a war hall and that is exactly what made it so appealing to the people who were buying pop art i mean it was this new art form that was very exciting but part of the appeal was that it's a high art form, a quote unquote high art form, but it's showing a common person's interests. So there's something very appealing about being able to drop like hundreds of thousands of dollars on a Campbell's soup can. An image of the Campbell's symbol of a Campbell's soup can. Right. Jasper's considered one of the forebearers of pop art, right? Because he's not necessarily a pop artist. But he's using a familiar symbol. Right. He's not the pop artist you would think of, but he's like one of the grandfathers to that pop art. So Jasper is taking that symbol of the American flag, something that everyone is familiar with, something that everyone knows, Mm -hmm. and he is elevating it. Much like the Campbell soup cans. Exactly. Is he like injecting any commentary or is it just that symbol? I think he's made it so that it's just that symbol. Hmm. Just that symbol, but leaving it open for interpretation. So you can kind of bring your own, like we were talking about at the top of the show, your own experience with the flag to that symbol. Exactly. He may have had his own opinion or commentary, but it doesn't seem to have made its way onto the surface. Yeah, he's keeping it close to the uh, to the belt, as they say. Is that what they say? Under you know, under your peaches, <laughs> where you keep your peaches. What? I don't know. Okay. He's keeping it in his peaches. Okay. So before we get into the drawing I want to talk about, let's talk about Three Flags, the painting, which is based on, I'm sorry, uh, why are you making terrifying noises over there? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. I went to a fugue state again. Okay. I was in this beautiful forest, this lush green forest, all these ferns. Oh, that's great. That's really beautiful. And all these cicadas were singing. Wow. Quite the imagination when I say 
Three Flags. So where are we? We are talking about Three Flags, the painting, which inspired the drawing that I want to talk about. Okay, okay. Yes. Okay, so this painting is from 1958, and what we're looking at here are three American flags. They are stacked onto one another. So the largest one is the one furthest away from us. The second one is a little bit smaller, and the third one is the smallest, and it is the closest to us. So these look like American flags. They are painted like American flags. It is important to note they're not actual American flags. They are painted on a canvas-like surface. We're not sure if it's canvas or if it's board or what it is. But they're sculptural in a sense. They're kind of sculptural because they come off of the wall. They're not just flat on the wall. They project forward from the wall. They're literally stacked onto one another. Exactly. Not only is it sculptural, but... But encaustic paint also has a texture to it. So it's both sculptural and textural. <gasps> What's that? What's, what is what? Maybe it's a pantry door. Oh, oh. Well, let me see what I got here. All right. It is time for the Art Slice Pantry entry. Let's go. Listeners, if you recall our art pantry entry on oil paint and tempera, encaustic is just another example of using pigment with a binder. And in this case, the binder is a hot wax that dries rapidly. Initially, shipbuilders used wax to waterproof their ships in the 5th century, so a long time ago. And then they started to realize that they could actually add pigment to that wax to decorate their ships. Word spread about this colorful, beautiful wax to uh, Roman-controlled Egypt, and the wealthy started to commission artists to paint their death portraits on their mummified caskets. Encaustic started showing up elsewhere in Herculaneum and Pompeii. Those are both good examples. Uh, We'll actually include an image from a recently discovered fast food restaurant in Pompeii. From the image, you'll notice just how bright and colorful they still are today. So you can imagine just how bright and colorful they were thousands of years ago. Encaustic went out of vogue with artists and it wasn't really used frequently at all. And that is likely because it's just really difficult to use, right? You have to heat up the wax to make it pliable. You have to mix in pigment and you have to paint very fast before it dries. And it, it believe me, it dries very, very quickly. If you can imagine not having access to an electric source of heat, then you can understand why oil paint became such an upgrade for artists. It is still used. I actually love using encaustic paint sticks. It is not the most easy material to work with. Uh, You do have to have a hot plate to heat up the tip of the paint stick, and then you only have like 15 seconds to apply that to your surface. Uh, But the results are pretty good. They're pretty magical. If you can imagine painting with a brightly colored wax candle, it feels very light and substantive. It's also semi-opaque and it has a very cool texture to it. It looks really good combined with other painting mediums. So Jasper used encaustic and three flags. He would have had to have worked very quickly and painted in very small segments. In some of his paintings, Jasper also used newspaper underneath the encaustic paint. Um, So that shows you that encaustic acts as a binder as well. It was able to seal that newspaper to the surface. And that's interesting because, you know, since it is semi-opaque, the newspaper can show up just barely beneath that painted surface. So you get a little bit of that pigment, you get that color, but you also get a bit of that material you're using underneath. Thank you for that, Russell. Very informative on encaustic. So back to the painting. So real talk, you like this painting? Dang it. I, (laughs) 
I don't love it. I like it for what it is. I like how it starts to abstract the flag and it becomes Mm -hmm. more geometric and less about stars and stripes. It was one of his many flag paintings. He did something different with all of them. He reinterpreted them differently. So there's a variety. So if you don't like one, you might like another one. And I believe this is the only one that has flags stacked on top of each other, right? Right. Except for the drawing we are talking about today, which is called Three Flags, as it is based on this painting. So this drawing was done about two years after Three Flags, the painting. So it's much smaller in scale. It's about less than a fourth size of the original painting. So it's pretty easy to miss. Yeah, it's about 12 inches by 17 inches. I think that's a size we can all relate to, like laptop size. And it's uh, also made with just graphite and charcoal. So really only gray, just gray. Basically, yeah. So just imagine you're looking down at a three-layer rectangular cake. (laughs) So every tier is a little bit smaller. A small personal cake. Yeah, personal size. Yeah, Stephanie size cake. It is my size. It's enough for me and not sharing. (laughs) So at first glance, you see a bunch of scribbles in long rows. Long rows of scribbles. Scribble ribbons. Scribble ribbons. Scribble ribbons. Scribbins. 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 Below the scribbins are... (laughs) I'm sorry. What, below the scribbins? You think that's funny? Yeah. Okay. Below the scribbins, it almost looks like he is drawing. Is you think that's funny? Yeah. I love it. It's like he's <laughs> he's using graph paper and then he's filling in each one of those little squares with just simple, quick marks. So if you can imagine your graph paper right in front of you and you are repetitiously filling in each one of those boxes like a crazy person with little pencil strokes over and over again until you filled the entire page. And then he adds the scribble ribbons, the scribbins, on top of that surface. (laughs) Love it. Oh, so he did like two layers. Yeah, so there's layers. So much like the encaustic paint we were talking about with the original Three Flags painting, he is creating a texture or an implied texture by just using the pencil and the charcoal. If you remember when you were a kid and you would put a piece of paper on top of concrete or on top of like a, a leaf and you would take a crayon and rub the crayon on top of that that paper. Is that and called frittage? I think so. It's something like that. And it leaves that impression. The sort of varied mark that you would get from how hard you pressed creates a density and creates an implied texture, even though the surface remains flat. Yes. Yeah, so he's trying to mimic the texture of the encaustic, possibly. Right. Encaustic dries very, very quickly. So he had to do quick strokes. So he's mimicking those quick strokes that he did with the paintbrush for the encaustic painting with his pencil and charcoal marks. The gray is monotone. So the varying definition is just from how dense the marks are made. And that does two things, right? It gives us the feeling of texture and it creates this very staticky image. So when you look past the scribbles, you start to notice stars and you do get a clue from the title Uh, before you realize that the stars are making up the American flag. So I encourage you, listeners, to first study a piece before reading the plaque. That way you can form your own opinion. You can have your own interpretation of it before finding out more about the piece. I totally agree. I think that you should never look at the plaque. (laughs) I'm teasing. Look at the plaque after you've had time to look at the work. 
Right, because that plaque itself is based on somebody else's interpretation right. of the work. For example, if I saw this piece in a museum and I saw a big plaque that said Jasper John's painting right here with a lot of fingers pointing down at it, <laughs> and I'd be, you know, all of a sudden magically transported to the Chao Praia River and I'd be munching on some boat noodle soup. Well, that sounds thrilling. <laughs> so Three Flags, the painting demands our attention. Right. Uh, with its bright color and its scale. This drawing, I think, does the opposite. I mean, it looks like, I can imagine, I haven't seen this in person, or maybe I have and I just walked by it. It seems like it'd be hard to see because it's just <laughs> these scribbles on a piece of paper. I mean, I walked by it several times. Yeah, where did you see this at? Uh, at the Peggy Guggenheim Collection oh. in, in Venice, Italy. When you were working there? Yes. Okay. I finally stopped and took the time to look at the drawing. I finally stopped and I really looked at it. I noticed the scribbles and I then noticed stars. And I love stars. You so I love was stars. Like, yeah, I was like, oh my God. And guess what? I had not read the plaque up until this point. Great. Yeah. So really all you need to do is hang out in a gallery for six hours. hours. Yep. Everyone has that kind of time. <laughs> Just stare at things and eventually things will unfurl themselves to you. No, I'm kidding. There, there are works that you obviously get right away and there are works that take a little bit more time. So that's really interesting. And it's interesting to compare and contrast this drawing with the painting in the sense of palette. The original three flags. Yes. The original painting just screams for your attention. Yeah. It's it's big. It's bright. It is bold. And it's an American flag shown to us in a way that we're not used to seeing. Right. So it already lures you in because it looks interesting, at least from afar. Mm -hmm. Right. This work, the drawing, it really opened my eyes to gray not being boring. You thought gray was boring? (sighs) Yes. I really hate to admit that because I love gray now. I love it. I know. Look, it just shows how a person can grow, okay? Yeah. It does, with the right work, at the right time. (laughs) Right. It's true. Give every work a chance. You you never know. Um, I really like how he's able to achieve uh, different tones, like you mentioned earlier, by how hard he's pushing on the pencil or how light he's applying pressure. So he's able to achieve all of these different tones, all these different marks. Mind you, this is just gray i mean they're all it's just it's all gray they're all different variations of gray and it's not only just gray it's actually a material itself it's charcoal and it's graphite so it's not even like you're mixing colors to create a complex gray because grays can hold all sorts of colors you could have a greenish gray you could have a bluish gray Mm -hmm. you could have a dark gray Mm -hmm. this is graphite gray this is charcoal gray so it is the most monotone gray you can imagine. Um, so, the, so the colors make it a somber interpretation of the flag, mm-hmm. I think. There is no color here per se. Okay, right. There's no bold stars, no stripes, no red, white, or blue. But the essence of the flag is still there. It's just really stripped down. Right. It's almost like a magic eye image. If you remember those from being a kid, those printed images. It's like optical illusions. Yeah, yeah, that you'd have to get so close to and then you'd blur your eyes and all of a sudden an image of like a cat riding a skateboard would be there in front of you. I this mean, is like that. You, <laughs> you Except it's different. Like you don't blur your eyes. You stare at it for six hours and then you're like, oh, is that a flag? Um, <laughs> you I don't know. think you have to get, I mean, no, you, you, you have to get pretty close. See, I was able to get close to no one mm-hmm. else was around. Um, so I had it all to myself. Right. Yeah. You kind of have to relax and you kind of just have to let the work speak to you. Were you disappointed when you found out it was a flag? No, no. I think I was impressed because I did not realize off the bat that it was a flag. I'm like, whoa, 
he really went for it and reinterpreted the flag mm-hmm. so much so that I didn't know immediately that it was a flag. Right. So I was impressed. I was impressed at how he could take the American flag, a symbol that I know all too well, mm-hmm. and make it into something completely different. I stare at it. I look at this beautiful abstraction. I love gray. I especially love textured graphite gray. I love that. This is your jam. And then when I realized it was a flag, I got very disappointed. I was almost like let down. But it's kind of come around to the point where I'm like, oh, but actually that's really interesting because he took all this time to hide the American flag for us. This motif that he's using, the symbol that he's using over and over and over and over again, it's starting to show me that he is interested in this as a symbol. That it's not just something that he's making up. And now that I'm thinking about it, had I seen it from afar, enough for it to catch my attention, so I'm walking over to it, I read the plaque, and then I see it's it's supposed to be an American flag, and then I have an opinion already. I, I would read the plaque and be like, oh, great. Like, wh- what What about the flag? And I would look at it and then just ca- I just have this sense that maybe I was looking at something nationalistic. Mm-hmm. Like, is, oh, great. Is Jasper Johns, like, super proud to be an American? Like, mm-hmm. is this his painting showing off his pride? You know, I would have had, be. I would have, it could be, yeah, and that's fine. Be. I would have had that layer. However, I would have missed out on enjoying this work. Your own interpretation of this work. I would have missed out on forming my own opinion. I think it's important to have your own. Right. Your own thoughts and feelings about it. I mean, it's also just like, it it helps that this is a beautiful piece. It's just so interesting to me. The paintings aren't. (laughs) Like, as as artworks, they're not that interesting to me. Conceptually, it's more interesting than the final image. But this is both. This is is very beautiful and vexing and, and... foggy and and just like it has all this hidden meaning both literally it has a hidden symbol in it and figuratively it has it's just like a hidden meaning for for you to find yourself also for me the marks represent anxiety and Mm -hmm. obsessiveness i agree it's the same mark mostly over and over yeah and the lack of color i think forces the viewer to think about the flag as a symbol and ask themselves what is the flag really. You're not distracted by the colors. You're not distracted by the stars. The flag is just a bunch of shapes at the end of the day. But it's also beautiful to contrast that anxiety, that obsessiveness, that mark making with shapes, with just a bunch of shapes, because it shows you that that symbol does mean something. And I know Jasper isn't saying that literally. I'm saying this is what it means to me now. I have a lot of anxiety with America, (laughs) if I'm being honest with you. So seeing it like this reminds me not only that it's still a symbol, but my interpretation of that symbol. So Steph, when we build our museum from the repurposed steel and brick of beachside Malibu properties, (laughs) are we taking this piece? Uh, yes, I would steal it and put it in my room and not share it. It's personal size, personal for me. But I thought, I thought you didn't (laughs) like it when people bought up work and then you never, people never get to see it again until it shows up on Antique Roadshow. I think you've said that verbatim before. Well, this is an exception. No, no, no. I think this is, if you like it, it's got to go in the museum, right? Got to go in the Art Slice Museum. (sighs) 
All right. That has suspended nap pods with built-in foot massagers that are free for everybody. <laughs> oh my gosh, what? Yeah. Who's paying for this? Doesn't matter. Okay, you're there'll right. No, there'll be no money. This is a me, fantasy. When benevolent dictator Russell is in charge. Oh, okay. It's BD, everybody. Get used to um, him. So you like it. You want it. You want it in the museum. I love it. It changed my life. It, it changed your life. It changed wow. the way I see gray. Because you didn't see gray before. You're like the opposite of a dog. I like it too. I don't like admitting that. It sounds dirty in my mouth when I say it. <laughs> I would verge on saying I love it. <gasps> that is So it's going huge. in the museum. You're not keeping it to yourself. It's I, going in the museum. You're right. In fact, maybe we should just shut up and you all should go look at the piece. You can find the image of this work along with others on our Instagram at artslicepod or artslicepod.com. So, Steph, what is our art assignment today for this week? We didn't do one last week. We didn't. We didn't. But this one, I think, is extra special. Extra special. What is it? So, the art assignment this week is... You look positively giddy. I am so excited. Stephanie came up with this one. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm very proud of it. Probably like an American. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, so the art assignment this week is for you to design your own flag. What is your flag? What My would it contain? Flag. Yeah. What would it have? Yeah. What would your flag have? Stars, glitter, something iridescent, probably. That's, yeah. Yeah. My flag. Mine would be an eagle with three heads. And in one of the large wing claws. Oh my God. Wing claws? What are you talking what about? What are they called? Wing claws? The talons? wings have claws. Talons. Thank you. In one of the talons. The wings don't have, they have legs. Yeah, I know they have legs. You're saying the wings have claws at don't the they, end Don't of them? the wings have little talons on them? <laughs> oh my God. Wow. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? No. <laughs> they I don't forgot. have four sets of talons. I forgot. They talons. just have the talons. They just have the two talons, don't oh, they? No, they have multiple talons. No, I mean, they're, they're the on two... their two legs. Two, they're two. Oh my gosh. Wow, you're like crying. Oh my goodness, I'm like crying too idiot. for you. Um, and then you, God damn it, now I'm all lost. If you do the art assignment, we want to see it. We want to see your flag. Wave that flag. Wave that flag. Be proud of your flag. And if you have any comments or questions, be sure to email us at artslicepod at gmail.com. Folks, if you enjoyed the show, We're a very new podcast, and we could greatly benefit from a positive written review on Apple Podcasts. It sounds crazy, but it's like the only way people find out about the show. The other way is for you to share it. So if you have a friend who you think might like the show, send it it to them. Okay, well, that about does it. We will see you next week. And no. And no. Your kid could not have painted that. Bye. Bye. Squeal on me, I'll kill you.